uh, you know, if we were both the same type of personalities, I don't think it would work. So think about that when you're hiring, whether family or not, I don't think it would work uh, because you really need somebody to compliment you, not to kind of go head to head. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another incredible episode of For the Love of Money. I'm really, really, really excited about today's episode because I'm actually going to sit down with our COO, yes, our Chief Operations Officer, our secret sauce to our business, and he just happens to be my brother, and we're going to talk a lot about that, Nick Harder. Now, Nick is not only our COO, but he has been the jack of all trades that allowed us to bootstrap our way up the scales until we became a company that was big enough to hire uh, people with more individual expertise. So we're going to explain the positives and the drawbacks and all the things that come along with that type of journey. Now, I really need you to grasp this once. This is why it's important to you. Nick has become so good at his role, at moving a company forward, that his name has literally become a position that entrepreneurs talk about. I kid you not, everyone in our masterminds, everybody that participates in our stuff, everyone that comes to our events, when they're entrepreneurs, they say, where do I find a Nick? A Nick has literally become a position that entrepreneurs need. Strangers talk about, oh, I found a Nick. So it's really cool that his name has actually become a position that entrepreneurs talk about. So we dive deep into what does he do for us? And how do you find somebody similar. I think it's going to surprise you, the traits and the ways to find your Nick. We talk about what it's like to work for and with Lori and I, what are the best parts and what are the worst parts. We talk a lot about how we make this work as a family because typically you hear, don't work with your family. We get into what goes through his mind when as a company, we make big mistakes or we totally drop the ball on projects. And what you, the entrepreneurs listening, should and could do better to boost your business because he actually works with so many different entrepreneurs in the capacity of our masterminds that he absolutely sees what everybody is swinging and missing on. We also then turn the spotlight on us and I ask him what we should and could be doing better or differently. And I think his answer will surprise you. And then last but not least, because it's the ethos of this show and it's the ethos of who he is as a human being, we get into where he got his extreme sense of being a helper and his extreme sense of generosity from. And I think you're going to love his backstory on where that came from. So listen, take notes, get ready. This episode will make you better than before the moment you came across it. I cannot wait to dive in with my brother, Nick Harder. All right, everybody. I am so excited to sit down with this special guest because this special guest also happens to be one of my best friends in a whole wide world, and he looks like me, and we come from the same parents. It is my incredible, life-changing brother, Nick Harder. How you doing, buddy? Hey, hey. Doing well. How are you? This is weird. I feel like I'm looking at myself 
as I'm doing the interview. By the way, everyone asks if we're twins. We're not. I'm five years older, which just means I'm going to die sooner than him. So if you really want to get to know one of us, <laughs> get to know Nick. He'll be around longer. <laughs> all right. So Nick, as you know, because you are all things in our business, I start with rapid fire. And I want to unleash these rapid fire questions on you. And I'm kind of excited because I don't think I've ever asked you these things. Matter of fact, I'm probably going to learn more about you during this next 45 minutes <laughs> oh, great. than anything else that we've ever done. All right. So, oh God, this one's dumb because I know the answer to this one, but everyone else might not know. Where'd you grow up? Green Bay, Wisconsin. Duh. Where do you live now? Uh, Marina Del Rey, right outside of Los Angeles. God, you have a cool place overlooking the water and everything. What is your favorite quote? Oh gosh. I would say... Whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Or Ooh. whatever butchered quote of uh, no, that's Ford spot is. on. Yeah, that is so good. Uh, what is one of your superpowers? I would say one of my superpowers is commitment and dedication. Mm, I would agree. One of your favorite books, uh, Tuesdays with Maury, was really really good. Yeah, you you and one of your friends, Tyler, turned me onto that one. Yeah, this changed my life. What is one thing that you're challenged by right now? I would say with both brands, Chris and Lori's brands, I would say uh, just taking it to the next level, how to kind of exponentially grow even more than we have already. Who is someone who has changed your life? Cheesy answer, both of you guys. <laughs> Other than that, um, man, I mean, that's been, a, that's been a huge impact. So Aww, I'm going to go with that. I love that. Likewise, just a couple left here. What is one of your all-time favorite accomplishments this far? I would have to say the, well, what's today? I've been running for a thousand and I don't know, 60, 50, 1100 days in a row, something like that. In a row. And I can, you guys, I can verify this. Like even on the coldest, craziest, snowiest days at our Christmas cabin, uh, before we go snowboarding, he'll get up at like five in the morning in the dark in the snow and make sure he gets his few miles or more in every single day for over a thousand days. There are so many lessons to be learned in that. I'm going to ask you about that later. Yeah, so it's not even just the running. It's the, or it's not even the streak, I would say. It's the the day, it's, I mean, it's easy in SoCal. It's sunny, but it's the days that we are like up at the cabin, um, mm -hmm. leaving at 4 a.m. somewhere, stuff like Book that. Book tour, all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Yep. A couple more. What is something generous that you have done recently? Oh, I am fundraising for Charity Water and yes. I, uh, I've, I've seeded it with a donation and then uh, I'm continuing to ask people for uh, different donations. So I guess fundraising as well as uh, donating myself. Where can they help you with this campaign? nickharder.com slash give will redirect it to the Charity Waters um, platform. I love that you're doing that. Last rapid fire question. What are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for the sunshine because it has been a, I know it's been a rough winter for LA, but it has been, it's been cold-ish, cold adjacent rainy. and rainy. So I'm super grateful for the sunshine and the great weather. All right. I love it. So let's go deeper in the interview now. And I actually want to start with your 1,060 days or whatever the number is up to 1,100 days in a row of running. And you yep. guys, I'm not kidding. This has been verified between Lori, myself, our family, his living girlfriend, Jackie, like everyone's seen <laughs> him do this. So over a thousand days in a row running at least a few miles or more every single day. What have you learned about yourself and why are you doing this? Let's see, go back to why I'm doing it. I started it to, to just do it for one year. I wanted to see if I could do it for one year. I figured it'd be a cool challenge and uh, just 
go from there. And obviously on January 1st of the following year, I'm like, well, I'm not going to stop. So I just kept going. So I really started to, to start the challenge of one year and uh, see if I could do it. And, uh, and I've been still going. So for three plus years strong. So what have you learned about yourself though? Um, I would say there's definitely days that I don't want to run. And, you know, everybody thinks it's just, oh, it's, I want to run every day. And so find it, find this for whatever it is for you, whether it's working out, whether it's reading, whatever it is, is for you. But there's definitely days I don't want to do it. But what I've learned is I made the decision to do it uh, two and a half, three years ago. So it wasn't on day one that I started that I truly made that decision because I had wavered and I'd thought about not doing it on some of those days. I still did it, but I thought about it. Now it's it's not a matter of if I'm going to do it. It's a matter of when I'm going to fit it in, in my day. And that is actually really helped take off some of the pressure of the decision-making. So the decision, when I finally made the decision, it was like mid-March of the first year. And ever since then, it's been so easy. It's 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 almost, now the running hasn't been easy, but the thought and process, you know, you know those days where you waver on like, I don't know if I'm going to go to the gym or I don't know if I'm going to work for one more hour or those days where you waver, it's almost that indecision that is more of a pain in the ass than the actual act of whatever you're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes it. Not only does it make sense, it's a great metaphor for everything in life. When you switch the question, you know, mm-hmm. ask better questions, get better results. When you switch the question from, am I going to do this? Or let me add to live once, is this the day I break the streak? To, when in my day am I going to fit this in? Yep. That's a game changer. Yeah, because then it's just an underwritten rule that it's going to happen. And then if you haven't heard, you know, when you start to ask yourself questions, your mind goes to work to answer them for you. So it's, you know, whether it's running or whatever, it's going to say, well, you can fit it in, you know, prior to your workout. You can fit it in prior to your meeting or after your meeting or whatever. So I wish you- you guys, I've watched him. We'll, we'll be on book tour. We'll be doing an event in another city. And we'll have to start, you know, setting up the event or something sometimes like seven in the morning. So he'll be up at 4.30, tagging himself on Instagram. Matter of fact, go follow him on Instagram to watch him tag himself running each morning. It's Nick Carter one on Instagram, mm-hmm. is that right? Yep. And uh, we got to get you your real name on there, by the way. I got to pull some strings. <laughs> okay, so go follow him, Nick Carter one on Instagram, because he literally will post himself, tag himself every single morning, getting his run in. And when you wake up, I can speak for myself, when I wake up, and at 7.30, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like getting out of bed. And when I see that he was running at 4.30 and then setting up an event or something like that with us, all my excuses go right out of the window. So it's really inspiring you being on the streak. And that's not to add pressure of you keeping it going. Let's talk about that once. Is there a day that the streak is going to break and how are you going to feel? Uh, yeah, I'm going to stop it eventually. Um, I don't know when I'm going to stop it. I don't want to continue it just because it was something that I wanted to do and I've kind of put in my 10,000 hours almost, yeah. you know, so I feel like I'm going to stop it. I want to stop it on my own terms. Mm-hmm. So, which means probably stopping it sooner than yeah. later before, before something your legs happens. Fall off. Yes, exactly. So, but I haven't set anything up yet. I don't know yet. All right. So what has this thousand plus days of running in a row taught you about business and how does it translate to all the business entrepreneurs listening? Hmm. I would say um, my 
best two marathons have been my two most recent ones. And those are the ones that have been within this streak. Uh, so what does that mean? I feel that I've, you know, you, for a marathon, you typically run uh, 16 to 18 weeks as your training, a standard training period. But if you're starting at day zero on those 18 weeks, you're going to have some days where you're just starting to, you know, break in your legs, if you will. But I really think I've took away those days and I could make those training days more efficient. And I ran a personal best in my last race and the race prior to that. Three hours, by the way, you guys. 26 point what? Two miles? 26.2, yeah. three hours, that's insane. Yeah, so I, um, so that, if I were to translate that into business is it's a marathon game. Like have the patience and put in the work even when you feel like it's not working or you don't feel like you want to put in the work and it's making those quote unquote longer runs easier because you've put in the work prior to it. So you can't expect to go out and run your best race if you didn't put in the work. So if you're not putting in the work in your business, if you're not putting in your work in building your email list, in creating your audience, in creating your products, nobody's just going to go from zero to a million in a week, in a year even, in you know a couple of years. It takes time, it takes patience, and that consistent, dedicated effort day in and day out that seemingly feels small and insignificant, but really compounds into massive shifts and massive movement. God, that's such a good parallel, such a good lesson. So speaking of business, I want to edify you for a moment because people don't get to see all of our insider friends and like most of our clients in our mastermind, they get to see this, they get to know this. But most of the general listeners and general onlookers don't get to realize this. You are the secret sauce in our business, literally. And this is not because my he's my brother, it's not because he's sitting here in front of me. You guys, Nick, my brother, is the secret to all of our business success. Now, is that to say that Lori and I don't have a role in it? No, of course not. But I want to explain to you guys and set this up for the next few questions. Lori and I are visionaries. We are idea machines, probably to a fault. Here's the thing. All of those great visions, all those great ideas would never come into existence without Nick taking them and putting them into existence. You see, Nick is the opposite. He is a strategist. He is a integrator, an implementer. He is good with the details. He is good with the timelines. He is good with slowing things down. And when I want to throw a trillion dollar idea against the wall, he's the one that'll stop and say, wait a minute, is this a good idea, bad idea? What are the risks? What are the rewards? And we always seem to meet in the middle. It's Nick is the opposite end of the pendulum for us, right? So if Lori and I are going to let the pendulum swing way too far one way into, let's call it dream world, Nick is the pendulum that would want to swing all the way the other way into too realistic of the world, and we end up meeting in the middle. And this beautiful dance, this beautiful balance is why you're listening to the podcast right now, or you wouldn't be. It's why you might have consumed one of our products, been in one of our programs, or you wouldn't have been. It's why all the exciting things that we have coming out for you soon, you're going to get a chance to participate in those, or they wouldn't exist without Nick. So the reason I set that up is so that you can all understand kind of his role. His official title in our businesses is COO, Chief Operating Officer. So he literally runs the operations and all the projects for both Lori's and my brand. 
So here's my first question for you, Nick. I know the answer to this, but other people right now are probably thinking, great, where do I find a Nick? Tell them how we got started working together. Uh, so one of my, uh, one of my, I guess, gifts is the gift of research. And it could be, and it can be definitely a handcuff, but um, if you let it be, but I'd say one of my gifts is research and learning. And for as long as I can remember, it's taken me, you know, a hundred years to decide on which TV to buy, right? Like, because you would, I would weigh all the different options and I would learn about the TV or I would learn about whatever it is that I'm purchasing. So, and Chris has seen this in me that I will research something and learn it and then make an educated decision or an action on it. And I think that's one of the first initial reasons that they're like, hey, you, will you help us with, and it was actually for Lori's event, the Bliss Project, will you help us plan this event? And uh, and I said, yes. And you know, I, uh, I was working for a TV show at the time, helping coordinate that. And so we started coordinating the event and that was doable and it, it went off amazingly. And they decided to, because it was kind of like a quote unquote con- contract for that. Uh, and, and essentially I would be done after the event. And what they said was, hey, will you continue to learn stuff? I, I think the real thing was, can we pay you to learn shit and you implement it? It was really like the the official title. Uh, shit learner, I think was, <laughs> I have, uh, that's a good card I could make up. Yeah, shit learner. <laughs> and so, uh, so that they placed a trust in me and saw that quality in me that I would learn different things. Um, and so what does that mean? I would learn the things that the business needed and start to implement them and uh, put them into the business and bounce ideas off of them uh, to see if they liked them, if they hated them, stuff like that. And that's really kind of how it all started. Okay, so the number one question that people get, and actually I want to tell everyone the moment when I realized that this was more than just the initial contract on Lori's first Bliss project that we needed help on seven years ago. You came to a meeting in that Bliss Project meeting and you had this massive spreadsheet with like every little down to the minute of things that would have to happen and then whose responsibility they'd be and the times that they had to happen in and what we had to have ordered and what, like it was this beautiful graph I remember, something I would never think of in my life. And in that moment, I realized, oh, wait a minute, this is what we're missing to make all of our dreams come true. This is the missing piece because it's everything that we are not. So that was a moment, by the way, that I realized, holy crap, this is more than just a contract thing. Nick needs to be an integral part of our success. So the question that we get all the time, I know you know this question, is that we get it in a mastermind, mm-hmm. we get it all the time. Where do I find a Nick? Because people view you as an expert at multiple, multiple things. Uh, let me give my perspective on it. You're an expert at digital marketing, Facebook ads, building funnels. You can build the landing sites. You can build the websites. Mm-hmm. Graphic arts, I think we're still working on. (laughs) You've learned sales copy, like the art of writing sales copy in order to create sales. Mm -hmm. I always say if it plugs in. Video video editing, editing, shooting videos. shooting videos. For years. I always say if it plugs in, it's Nick's responsibility. (laughs) So everyone says, well, where do I find a Nick? Because I want somebody that can do all those things for me. What's the answer? Well, you better stop stop using that metaphor because everything's going wireless. So I'm going to be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's going to plug in anymore. No, I would say, you know, so where do, where do I find a Nick? I would say, look at the qualities that you're missing in your business and 
see who has those or start putting up job postings for those qualities. And so like if I reference the story initially, how, how they first decided to have me come aboard was they noticed the quality that I'm a researcher and a learner. So who in your life do you know? Maybe it's an acquaintance of somebody. Who do you know in your life who has that quality? Uh, they're a researcher. They're a learner. It takes them time. And this is this is a, a bad thing, but this is where Chris and Lori's qualities come into play. It takes me time to execute on things because I have a level of perfectionism. But then we set almost unrealistic deadlines so they have to be delivered. So it's that happy medium and kind of that that merging of the two uh, mindsets that help me deliver faster and them uh, actually do actual deliver it. So uh, the product. So I would say look at the qualities that you want in that person and start asking around if and they know anybody who is a natural researcher or a natural learner or who's who's your friend who's always got the answer or will find the answer. Um, and I think that's, uh, I guess, one of my qualities and it kind of translates into that. I, I couldn't agree more. Nick's ability to learn and execute anything with details is extraordinary. So you should find one of these unicorns, as I call them, a, a Swiss army knife, in order to get you started in your business if you're a solopreneur or if you have a really small team in the beginning. Mentioned attentional detail. Yeah, is, find someone with big, this yeah. attention to detail and ability to learn almost anything. So, you know, some people, they're just great learners. They can figure anything out. Like they get the Ikea furniture kit and they're the one that figures it out faster than anybody <laughs> else. That's who you look for. It's a silly analogy, but it's true. And then the step two is this, what we started doing. Pretty soon, it's going to go from a blessing to it'll hamstring you because you're relying on them too much to do too many things mm-hmm. and they get bottlenecked. Yep. And so step two is then, Letting that person who now understands your business and has done so many aspects for it, letting that person do the hiring of some of the things that they were doing, but going out and finding the experts and running the experts. And that's really how Nick ended up as our COO is not only does he know what to look for, not only does he know who to hire for some of these things that he used to do, but also he knows if they're screwing us or if they're giving us a good quote because he knows the work involved with it. So if you can have the patience, you know what this really is, Nick? This is a patience play. Mm-hmm. If you can have the patience to groom somebody and, and grow with somebody and allow them to learn these things, they are going to be able to be someone who then can also make sure and police that you're hiring the right people to hand some of these things off as your business grows and gets busier. Well, and a lot of people listening are, are probably in that bootstrap phase where they their first initial reaction is, I can't fucking hire anybody. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't have any money to hire anybody. And that's where I would say, push back a little bit and try to find that kind of Swiss army knife who can help you. And if you bootstrap and grow with that one person and their ability to do a, a bunch of different things is pretty good, they're not gonna be the experts, right? So there's plenty of people who are much better in individual things than I am, for sure. Uh, but I know enough that we we were able to grow significantly and they only had to pay one or two people, right? So they, they would pay me and maybe uh, you know a graphic designer or something like that to help with some of that type of stuff. But I would say that's gonna help you grow much faster initially and... I mean, I would say I 
quickly outweighed my salary and made it back uh, mm-hmm. very quickly. And that and that streamlined us for it. Really set us up for exponential growth down the road. Yeah, because in the beginning you don't have the money to nope. do some of the projects you want to do, and so it's better here. That I hope this frees people up. It's better to find a person who can do, and I mean this as a compliment, by the way, who can do everything as an A minus instead of trying to find all the individuals that are already A pluses at it. Because you just getting the product out there and then creating some revenue on it and then reinvesting that revenue into the person that got you there and then reinvesting more revenue into helping that person find people to help them with their job, that is really the goal here. Yeah, because if I can deliver on 80% of you know, 100, you know an A plus thing, but if I can deliver on 80% of a multiple different things when we were first starting off, that's a hell of a lot better than trying to pay five or six different people for their 100%. Yep. And we actually got it delivered, the product delivered, the product created, the sales page up, stuff like that. Yep. Amen, because at least that gets the money coming in. Exactly. All right, so Lori and I have a tendency to set unrealistic goals, especially me. Mm-hmm. And that's because, again, we're the dreamers, we're the visionaries, and we just live in this weird fake world. How do you feel when you hear us set one of these unrealistic goals and what goes through your mind? Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) So my immediately, my brain starts to process whenever something comes up, how to get from A to Z. And I start to see the different letters and the different steps in that map. So, you know, I'll, I'll start to think about those and I'll start to, you know, my, my first move is I start writing them down and I start, hell, I, the, you know, I have a, I have a master's in Google for sure. <laughs> like I, I just start Googling like what's, what is, how do I create this? So, so let's take your podcast. Chris said, uh, this was like two years ago yeah, or something like ago. that. It's like, okay, I want a website and a podcast and it has to be up in a month. And so I'm like, okay, well, no, I guess this isn't really fair because we did launch Lori's podcast. But let's take Lori's podcast and back it up. She wanted to launch the podcast right before her main event, mm-hmm. annual event a few years ago. And we launched it extremely quickly. And she put a, frankly, an unrealistic launch date on and she wanted to do it prior to the event. And, I, and I'm like, well, maybe we should do it after the event. But then I started to think, well, it's actually better to get it done prior to the event because we have those 500 women who are tuned in and we can ask them to pull out their phones and subscribe to the podcast immediately and leave us a review. And man, we can really get the ball rolling with those 500 listeners right off the bat and those dedicated fans right off the bat. So I'm like, okay, so let's push it. So I I thought about, okay, is it realistic? Yeah, it's going to be tough. Is it going to be beneficial? Hell yeah, it's going to outweigh the, the extra effort we have to put in initially to get it uh, ready for them. So I really just figured it out. I, I would search the, I searched the equipment because uh, obviously you're going to need equipment. I searched the wires. I need the microphone. I needed an interface. How do I edit it? All those different things I found you know, just by searching it and learning it. Uh, and then, and then we went to implementation. Im- implementation. So it's order the equipment, do some test runs. How do I add it to iTunes? Like all the different steps that you need to take. So tr- translate that into whatever, what other aspect you want. Like if it's build a landing page and sell your product, sell an e-course, uh, put on an event. It's just a matter of learning and implementing. And uh, you know, to go back to your initial questions, like. 
what are what do I think and what are my initial uh, reactions? It's it's like okay, shit, this is a lot of work, but how can we make it work? Is kind of my initial reaction, and then if I come into constraints, then we have that conversation where we're like, hey, it's really not going to be able to work in a month, but maybe two months. Mm-hmm. So. Lori and I obviously, because we set these unrealistic goals, not everything we do ends up being a home run. Mm-hmm. And, and here's one of the things that the outside world needs to understand. Not everything you do is going to be a home run. Maybe even less than 50% of the things you do is going to be a home run. And so have these realistic, unrealistic <laughs> expectations, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But here's my question around this. How do you feel when a launch or a goal or a product doesn't go as planned? What goes through your head? Oh, it sucks. And it sucks. I mean, everyone everyone hates building something and it doesn't work, right? So it's 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 disapp- uh, disappointing. I feel like I've disappointed Chris and Lori. I'm upset with myself because I, I must have missed something. And I, I totally take all the credit, unfortunately, and it's shitty credit at that point. Then I take all the blame, I guess I would say, that, man, it, it didn't go right. So... After I weep for a day, right? You go back and you say, okay, so what went well? And where did things not work? Mm-hmm. And what could we improve on? What should we just ax and definitely not do? So it's it's upsetting for sure. But I think I think if we didn't have these unrealistic expectations, we wouldn't actually have shit delivered on time or at all. You know, because if you're not setting, if you're not setting those goals and just really forcing yourself to act on them, I just don't think people deliver on them. I don't know. It's just, I would say the majority of things we do, we announce and then quickly build it, yeah. or we set an unrealistic timeline because we know it'll coincide with something that'll help us, and then we quickly build it. I feel like we're always building from a place of urgency or being behind. Now, that's not a confession. It's a description of how we operate. And here's the question. I've never asked you this. Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing that our tendency is to do that? I think it's both. I think there's good, uh, you know, there's good, good things about it because it forces us to act and it forces us to create things. And when you set that timeline and like it's really easy to set a timeline and if you've only told yourself it's really easy to go past that timeline and just say, oh, it didn't happen, no big deal, right? But if you announce it to the world, now you have 7 billion accountability partners that are saying, hey, where the hell is this that you promised us? So that pressure is is really great. Now, the adverse of that is that pressure is a lot. And especially if we're promising things that are super hard to deliver on, it's challenging, it's challenging, but I think I think the pros outweigh the cons for sure because you are actually, you know, you're you're tied into actually delivering that product versus versus you just don't get it out the door. I think because I think so many people don't take the action, especially if they just write it down and they don't tell anyone. I think people just don't take the action. Unfortunately, I've learned about myself. I think I operate best under boomer bust with the urgency, with the back against the wall, um, creating from a place of wait a minute. We need this, and here's a deadline. I, I don't know. Do you remember Steve Turner by any mm-hmm, chance? Mm-hmm. Way back in our HSBC days. I know where you're going with this. He taught me once. I would complain about deadlines he'd yeah. give me. And he once said to me, and he was like, you know, stern and scary back then. And he once said to me, he said, Chris, 
if I gave you a box this big or this big? And I want you to picture his hands, you know, kind of creating a big box and a small box. He goes, if I gave you a box this big or this box this big, you would do the same amount of work to fill that box. And so it was a great point, a great analogy that when we have these urgent deadlines, it just forces us to work faster, more efficiently than if we gave ourselves more time. But I, I always have this equal guilt factor around it as well. It's a weird thing I struggle with. No, it's it's tough. And the the aggressive agendas that we put on ourselves are definitely stressful at times. And we have nobody else to blame but ourselves, unfortunately. <laughs> but I would say one of the cons that does come out of it, though, is double checking things, triple checking things, things that you know that I want to do delivering uh, like somebody signs up for a program, especially this happens, you know, the first few times you create something, right? Somebody signs up for a program and you're, oh shit, the email that's supposed to go out should have said this and it said something else. Or, oh, we should have had their membership login on their first email. Now I have to go back and send them another email with their membership info. Or there's always things that you forget to implement, it feels like, when you are rushing but again, it's it's not life or death. So if you're delivering at 80%, then you can go back and fine tune. I still think it's better than trying to deliver at 100%, which let's be realistic, doesn't happen. Yeah, even with the most preparation, right? No, you, exactly, because no you're still going to screw things up. So I want to kind of shift into this working relationship that we have. What is, and this is not a loaded question. By the way, Nick and I didn't even plan these questions. Like we're winging it right now. What is the best part and what is the worst part about working with Lori and I? Uh, Best part, I would say individually is because they're super uh, generous and uh, generous with our our time, our flexibility, stuff like that. So that, but that's an individual trait. So if we're talking like family, best part, I would say is you, if you have a good family, you always can think that hey, at the end of the day, we're the relationship's still there. So it's you know whether it goes right or wrong, we're still going to have a solid relationship. So that's good. You're saying I just want to clarify. You're saying that's our mo as a family. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's us. And so whether whether or not something bad goes wrong at work and we screw something up or whatever, I know that we're still family. So that is that's a solid feeling. Worst parts. Man, I think I take it more personal when we screw things up because I really look at it as our companies and our, you know, just our everything. You know, it's it's kind of our venture, and so I I feel like when when we if we screw something up or something goes wrong, that's super disappointing, and we'll take it or I'll take it maybe a little more personal than than if it was just like, you know, working for the man and then you just go home at five o'clock. So I would say that's that's the worst part. Why do you think this relationship works? Um, you know, most people say don't work with family and they'd be right to say that, quite honestly. Why do you think it works? I mean, a lot of people say that and it's probably true for the most part that the most time it doesn't work. I think it's because our weaknesses and strengths are inverse of each other. And so where Chris needs help, I can fill in the gap and vice versa. And same with uh, Lori. I think that I that we complement each other very, very well. And as uh, you know, if if we were two butting heads 
uh, you know, if we were both the same type of personalities, I don't think it would work. So think about that when you're hiring, whether family or not, I don't think it would work uh, because you really need somebody to compliment you, not to kind of go head to head. So you work with so many different entrepreneurs now. And by the way, everybody listening, he's not for hire. I mean, I'm sure you can do a small thing here and a small thing there for you, but we're dominating most of his time. But he ends up mm-hmm. working with so many of our friends and, and so many of the people in our mastermind that he and I run together. And so he gets to see the inner workings of all of their businesses, both in our elite level mastermind and in our beginner's mastermind. So my question is, what pattern or what limitation are you seeing the most in all of these entrepreneurs' business that, and how would they correct it? I think what I see a lot is people are overwhelmed and so they there's a lot of inactivity. I, I wouldn't say that so much with our mastermind group. They, these guys really take some amazing action, to be honest. But I'm just thinking of like the people who've asked me questions and just, just people I've come across uh, over the past few years. I think so many people are overwhelmed by the different things that are out there that they let that that fear stop them and they don't actually take any action because they're drinking from a fire hydrant so they're not getting any water type of deal. How do they correct that? Find a good, clear path and... You know, it's just like, how do you eat an elephant? Just buy a bite, you know, bite by bite. How do you run a marathon? It's one step at a time, 26,000 miles or 26,000 miles worth, Damn. <laughs> 26 miles worth. So it's it's coming up with a clear path and a plan and not letting it overwhelm you and just taking it step A, step B, step C, one at a time and don't fear that because you're not doing step C and D right now, don't fear that you're you're screwed. Just know that those small actions in the beginning will start to compound and you need those small actions uh, to really get through the map. One of the most important things you run for us is all of our digital marketing efforts. Mm-hmm. So Facebook ads, funnels, paid posts on social media, all of that stuff. What are one or two tips that people need to know that they're not doing in this ever-changing world of digital marketing in order to attract more customers and more eyes? Engagement and being authentic is huge. So engaging with your fans, engaging with your followers on different platforms is huge. And actually commenting back on their comments and liking their stuff and whatnot is super important. That way you're going to start to have an organic uh, following organic relationship with these people. And I would say if I were if I were just starting off today, if I was starting to build something, I would start with organically posting and watching these organic posts of different kinds of things, whatever whatever you're um, you know whatever you're posting about, create a bunch of different posts, read them, follow them and see who's interacting see which one's getting the most action and then start to put a dollar, $2 a day behind them. Anything to help boost those posts and reach new eyes. And that's going to warm up your audience. So think of it as a giant funnel. I'm reaching out there first uh, and getting as many eyes on me as possible. 
then my second step is I'm just going to retarget the people with another set of ads that are maybe a little more action-based. Maybe I want them to take an action, uh, whether it's sign up for a webinar, join us on a uh, join us on a webinar, sign up for an email, uh, get my free cheat sheet on XYZ. That's when you start to take take that kind of that action and ask people for things. You're not right off the bat, you're not spending money to cold traffic who and then asking them to do something right away because nowadays we don't we don't act that way on social media especially so think about how you're using social media you're going to scroll 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 and these people who are just directly asking for things for you in exchange for your email or money when they haven't provided you any value mm-hmm. man they better be amazing copywriters or have something just an amazing offer because more times than not, you're scrolling past and you don't care anymore. So really building that relationship, that long-term relationship with people is super important. So cold traffic, just posts that are engaging, maybe what you're talking, uh, giving them good good um, content. Of maybe it's a video or maybe it's just a good blog post initially and you're not asking anything in return. Then you're just going back to the people who did engage with you and giving them some more content. And maybe you're asking for an email in return, or maybe you're asking them for uh, to sign up for a webinar and you're going to give them more value. So that's kind of the flow. And then, then you can kind of go for that right hook and ask for a sale. But that's not your first interaction. That's not even your second interaction with most people, and it shouldn't be. So... You, we pointed out what other people should do differently and we pointed out what they should do. Let's turn the spotlight on us once. Mm-hmm. What do you wish that we would do differently or better? Hmm. I would say we should provide even more content. And I think that uh, one of our hangups is we've got amazing content in this podcast. And unfortunately, we don't we don't have somebody who's going to cut it up and really reproduce the different pieces that we need with it and that's that's kind of doing a disservice to a lot of people cuz some people maybe want to read what we're saying but they don't want to listen and vice versa right so the people who want to listen they can uh passively listen while they're driving and that's great so we've got that avenue but what if we took this podcast and cut up all these different little clips into 60-second Instagram clips? And that's going to serve our audience in even more ways because it's more opportunity for them to get stuff for free. We don't charge for any of this. So it's, it's, it allows them to get even more stuff from us for free that maybe they wouldn't have seen us or heard us on iTunes. Uh, so maybe just people on Instagram aren't hearing our podcast when we could actually cut that up and put it out there for them and they'd be able to see it on Instagram in little bite-sized nuggets. Like if if you have a really great point that we can cut down to 60 seconds, that could be reused as amazing content for uh, for the week. So how do we fix that? How do we find someone to do that? Yeah, we find, uh, we find a, an editor, a really good editor who can edit some motion graphics and just create, uh, you know, like those, the moving word videos, or maybe there's a, a picture of Chris and we have some, some wave uh, form or those, um, those audio waves mm-hmm. on top of the picture, right? And we're giving those 60 second bite size pieces of content. So it's uh, hiring somebody to, to do that, who's got the time, who can dedicate themselves just to that. 
So good. It's, it's so important. And I love when we turn the spotlight on ourselves and just instead of just always telling other people what they should be doing, right? All right. So I want to switch gears into what the show is all about. And that is, I've known you for 38 years? I would say my whole life. <laughs> Are you 38 right now? No, 36. 36, that's right. I always forget I how old I am. We're four and a half or five years 36, apart. 36, yeah. Okay, yeah, 41 minus five is 36. That's right, okay. So you're 36. Math so, is hard. My, math is hard. So my question is this. In 30, what did we decide? Six? <laughs> <laughs> In 36 years, I've watched you be such an incredible, loving human being, like insanely caring about other people. And part of that is your heart for generosity. I'm curious. I, I think I know where mine came from. Where did your heart for generosity come from? Initially, I would say mom and dad, they were always trying to give us the best of everything, best clothes, best house. And and in, as we got older, we would see that they they would actually do it they would actually put that put us first yep. is is what maybe I do meant. it to a fault yeah to a fault so like they were trying to give us so much and it was so generous and kind and it was awesome but then we didn't realize necessarily that maybe they were putting it on a credit card when they shouldn't have or maybe they were dad was working shit dad worked out of town and worked his ass off just to provide for us and mom busted her ass at home and worked a bit too at, at a job. And so stuff like that, where they really put us first, I would say initially. And then uh, later on in, in life, quote unquote, later on, I guess, you know, mid twenties or thirties, I would start to see other acts of generosity. And I actively pursued my bettering myself in trying to give more and give, whether it's give my time, give my money. I remember back uh, young 20s or teens, I remember building homes for, uh, what's that? Habitat, Habitat, Habitat for humanity. humanity. Yeah. I remember painting a gymnasium and building homes and stuff like that because I, my, I was handy like that. So I could do those actions. And that was one way of giving more when I wasn't making any money because I was a kid. So I would say I actively pursued it and made a conscious decision that that is how I wanted to live my life now. You've had an impact on me being generous in the ways that I have capabilities of being generous because I'm not handy, right? So I, I can mm -hmm. be generous in different ways. Yep. But you're the first one there to rescue the family. You're the first one there to rescue somebody else when they need something built or or moved or or changed or a project that's not going well. You'll swoop in and, and take that thing over. And that's had an impact on me wanting to have more impact on other people. And I just think the more examples like that, the more people realize, wait a minute, no matter what my strengths are, I get to go create impact with these strengths. What is one of your all-time favorite moments of giving? Do you remember one? One of the coolest things, actually one of them that I remember from you was, I'll, I'll try to think of one for me. I, I, I do actually do some generosity things. He does things. a lot of generous things. Um, but one of the coolest things that was years ago was we were living in Minneapolis at the time and we drove back for Christmas. Do you remember this? Mm -hmm. Yep. And we stopped and we got up super early to drive back and this diner in the middle of nowhere, it was still dark out. So it must've been six, 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. This diner, this old lady was opening this diner and it was um, dark and cold and wintry and- uh, Working, you know, early yeah, in the morning. And she made cinnamon buns, cinnabuns or whatever, right? And it was like just amazing. It's like grandma's cinnamon buns. And 
she was making them and it just came out of the oven and they were like, I don't know, $2 or something like that. And all you had on you were hundreds yep. at the time. And so I remember he's like, okay, well, here you go. She didn't have change. And she's like, that's great. Just keep the rest. And we walked out and she was like crying as we walked out. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just that quick and that instant that it's like, oh shit, like she just made more with that than she did all day probably working yeah. there for sure. You know, if she's working eight, nine hours at eight bucks an hour, mm -hmm. you know, she's not even making that. So that was really fun uh, as far as that goes. And then I would say one of my favorite things is I like to donate to random charities when when people post them on social media and stuff like that. I'm always, uh, you know, if people are putting on things for like dogs or uh, just personal like caregiving things where somebody needs some uh, money for surgery or they're going through some hospital issues, stuff like that. That I always love just donating randomly to those if I feel called to it. Uh, I would say Jackie's family had some issues and helping get the ball rolling on the, uh, I think it's like Caring Bridge or yeah. give fund, fund, fund Me or something like Was that. The GoFundMe account? It's for, a, yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, one of the, where, you, where you can donate. And it helped cover a bunch of their medical bills. So that was really cool. I've watched you do it a thousand times and, and it makes me proud and honored to, to be your brother, just so you know. Thank you. Just I appreciate so you know. that. You're raising money for Charity Water. Why Charity Water? After listening to Scott Harrison's book, Thirst, and you know his, his story is really, really cool. Go check out his book. It's called Thirst. It has a giant yellow uh, water jug on it. Such a good book. Oh, it's so good. And he, say, real quickly, not to spoil it, he was a club promoter and he's like, whoa, my life, I need to change something. So uh, he quickly changed and started this charity and now it's just massive. So go read that book or listen to it and check out Charity Water. What it does basically is there are communities all over the world that don't have water and they have to go and hike, you know, miles to get dirty, disease-infested water mm -hmm. and bring it back. And that's what they use to cook and clean and stuff like that. And I just think that we should all be able to have, obviously, just water right out of the faucet. So I'm, I'm in the efforts to build well. It takes about $10,000 and I'm fundraising for that. So if you want to help me, uh, we're running out of time as far as being able to donate for my window and it's nickharder.com slash give and that'll help us in our efforts to build a well. Nickharder.com forward slash give. You guys help him reach his $10,000. Okay, uh, two really fast last questions. Yes. One, where can everyone find you and follow you? Uh, Instagram, Nick Harder, and the number one. Okay. And then last question. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and wealth? Oh, man. Uh, why not? Like the, the ability to give and help people is, it's so fun. It's rewarding in yourself. So trust me, it, if you start earning and giving, you're just going to have the richest life ever. Yeah, amen. Well said. Nick, I want to tell the thousands of people listening how much I love you and appreciate you. And I've been wanting to do this episode for a while because you truly are the secret to our success. And I want to give you the most heartfelt thank you. Thank you. Love you. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds 
and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.